The following is a sermon from Gila Valley Baptist Church, and we pray this message strengthens your relationship with our Lord and Savior. We're located in Gila, New Mexico, and to learn more about our ministry or how to support our ministry, please visit GilaValley.org. How dare you talk to me that way? You're so ungrateful and selfish. It's not what you said. It's the way you said it. You never listen to me. That's because you never shut up. Can't you keep that face quiet? You can't tell me who I can and cannot date. Stay out of my life. I can understand why you are upset. God has always helped us. I know we can work this out. And so that's the difference between being a Christian family and being a Christ-centered home. I'm going to share some numbers with you. Most important number being 641. There are 262 post office boxes in Gila, which represents 262 Households in Gila, which represents 262 families that we need to reach with the gospel. In Buckhorn, there are 110. 110 families. In Cliff, there are 269 households, post office boxes, families. And I understand that we have people that travel up to an hour to come and attend our church, whether it's from Mule Creek or part of Arizona or Glenwood. But let's just focus on these three cities or communities for a moment. And that represents 641 families. We want the Lord to bless our home, but as a church, our mission must be to allow these 641 families to experience the peace that we claim to know. 641 times 2.5. Say an average household is 2.5 people. Some is more, some is less. That's okay. I'm just I made up this number. I'm being as transparent as I can, okay? 641 households, families, times 2.5. That's roughly over 1,600 souls. 1,600 souls in our community that are either going to heaven or they're going to hell. Will our church show them the way to peace? We're going to see in Matthew, sorry, Luke chapter 7, there's going to be a Pharisee and there's going to be a sinner. Will our church be full of Pharisees or will our church be full of sinners who understand their need for forgiveness in Jesus? When we die, our tombstone may say R.I.P. R.I.P., which stands for rest in peace. But not everyone who dies will rest in peace. So may we as a community not be focused of if we have 30 people in church or 60 people in church or whatever that number is, but let us focus on the 1,600 people in our community, our local community within about 5 to 10 miles 
1,600 souls that need us to step up and share the gospel with them. We see that blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're getting the Beatitudes or the blessings for our series, Blesses Home. The promise with this beatitude, with this blessing, is that they would be children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers because they will be called children of God. I'm going to define some terms for us this morning that we're going to see in Luke chapter 7. The word Pharisee. Maybe if you grew up in church a little bit, you know the word Pharisee, but the word Pharisee, uh, just as plainly as we can describe it, these are super religious, self-righteous people, uh, prideful people who may or may not know Jesus. They may have a relationship with Jesus and just have some poor theology, or they may not have a relationship with Jesus at all. But all of us, as Christians, we have Pharisee moments, okay? So when we see Simon the Pharisee here in this text, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a crazy, prideful, religious individual. We're going to see this term, denarii. Denarii is just their form of money in the Jewish culture. And so just to, again, give you more context, 500 denarii would be 20 months worth of pay. 50 denarii is two months worth of pay. And so we're going to see Jesus uses a parable of someone who owns, uh, owes a debt of 20 months worth of pay and someone who owes a debt of two months worth of pay. Also, the word that we use weekly, or we should use it weekly in church, is sin. But the more and more people that I talk to outside of these church walls and outside of church in general, no religious background, they don't understand what sin is. And so again, I want us to define sin as anything that we do that doesn't worship God. Sin isn't just lying to our spouse. Sin isn't just lying to our parents. Sin is anything that we do that does not worship God. We're going to see a sinful individual in this text. You and I, obviously, but this individual's name is Mary Mandolin. And um, this isn't the same Mary that we studied two weeks ago, okay? The difference that we can tell is where they are geographically. They don't have last names. And so two weeks ago, we studied about Mary from a town called Bethany. This story is going to be Mary as well, and it's going to be similar. She's going to bring uh, some perfume to Jesus' feet. That was a tradition and a culture thing that they did. But this is Mary from Magdala. And so that's how we get her name. This is referenced as a woman of the city in today's text. She was a friend of Jesus who throughout Jesus' ministry would follow him and his disciples from town to town, from village to village. She was actually an eyewitness of the crucifixion and she was one of the first ladies that went and learned about the resurrection. And then the Pharisee, uh, Jesus names him. His name is Simon. Simon the Pharisee. Simon is going to invite Jesus over to his house with the goal to disrespect Jesus. He's going to invite Jesus over to his house and he's going to say, hey, I want to catch Jesus stumbling. I want to catch Jesus sort of in a little uh, way where he claims or he, whatever it is, Simon the Pharisee is going to invite Jesus over to his house to disrespect him. Okay? Um, it's also worth noticing noting that Simon, who later became Peter, this is not that same Simon. This is the only time that this specific Simon is mentioned in the Bible. And what we have to understand this morning 
in these two different people groups, right? The Pharisees and the sinner is who is the biggest sinner? The one whose heart is to, uh, they might have the religious background, right? They may have grown up in church. They may know all the answers, but they're the Pharisee and their heart is wicked and their goal is to make Jesus look like he's not Jesus. Or the sinner who is known and has a reputation around the community, frankly, is a prostitute here in this text. She's a woman of the city who just wants to worship the Lord. And so who is the real sinner? I would say that the Pharisee is the sinner. As we look at blessed are the peacemakers this morning, I want us to understand that peacekeepers and peacemakers are different. Peacekeepers avoid conflict to keep the peace in the family. Peacemakers, um, they embrace the conflict to make the peace. If you are a peacekeeper, you say, hey, I'm not going to bring up that subject with my spouse. I'm just going to, uh, I'm not going to bring up that subject with my coworker. I'm not going to bring up this because I want to keep the peace. We're going to see Jesus doesn't do that. He's in Simon's home and he's going to make peace in an awkward situation. And so a peacekeeper often avoids conflict to keep the peace and Peacemakers embrace conflict to make peace. As we are a peacemaker, embracing the conflict would mean that we confront the issue, not the person. So we're confronting the issue. Hey, this issue is at hand, and so I'm not going to go and attack that person, but I'm going to say, hey, this has really been bothering me. And we'll see that here in this text as well. If I can be as transparent with you guys as I can, um, recently, we just did a church survey assessment, and we're about to publish a newsletter that Miss Brenda is putting together, and you're going to be able to see a summary of those results, and you can go and you can look at each individual assessment that was submitted. But as your pastor, it was very shocking to learn that on our assessment, over 50% of us who took the assessment said that there was unforgiveness in the church, that there was disunity in the church. And so if there's unforgiveness and disunity in the church, then I want to encourage you here to bring peace. Don't keep keeping the peace, but bring the peace to the situation. There's been people, um, again, just looking at the assessments, years and years, seven years. Our, our church has gone through a lot in the last seven years. Let's stop keeping the peace. Let's be a peacemaker and embrace the conflict to keep the peace, to make the peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Let's pray, and then we'll look at our text. Dear Father, I just pray that you would awaken our souls, that you would stir us to be Christ-centered families. Father, that you would draw us to repentance, that the conviction of the Holy Spirit would lead us this morning. Father, through the proclamation of your word, Father, I pray that people would see their need, their desperate need for a relationship with Jesus. Father, I pray that we wouldn't just be the Pharisee who came to church week after week after week and we failed to be workers in the harvest. You've provided the harvest for us. You've provided 1,600 souls for us to minister to. 
And so, Father, may we not be so selfish that we're unwilling to have an awkward conversation with someone to tell them about Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. I'm going to read verse 36 through 38. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at that table, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Again, a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. This Pharisee named Simon is welcoming Jesus into his home. How many times do we welcome Jesus into our homes and then we disrespect Jesus as he's in our home? Maybe we have that Hobby Lobby picture hanging up in the living room or the dining room or maybe even above our bed, but we don't actually live that out. Maybe we have a t-shirt that says the church's name on it or it just has a Christian phrase, but we actually are disrespecting Jesus um, in how we live. Maybe we have a cross necklace, but that's all it is, is it's a necklace. And we're not actually living for Jesus. Welcoming Jesus into the home, saying, hey Jesus, you can come, you can sit at my table, but I'm not going to respect you. A normal thing for us, and anytime we're studying God's word, it's important, okay? We're going to miss this text completely if we do not understand the historical significance, okay? If we're welcoming someone into our home, we offer them a glass of water. We show them where the bathroom is. Uh, depending on the home, maybe you will go to a home and you have to take off your shoes before you go there, right? That's our cultural norm. In the Hispanic culture, if you go and someone serves you a meal, you have to finish that meal. It doesn't matter if you're full or not, right? We just, in different cultures, there are some things that we just know and understand. And so in this culture, in the Jewish culture, what was taking place is he's inviting Jesus into his home and he doesn't wash his feet. And so it would be a cultural norm for you to come in, instead of wash your hands before dinner, hey, wash your body, wash your feet, or greet each other with a holy kiss. This was their culture. Whenever someone came into your house, you would greet them with a holy kiss, right? We shake hands every time we come to church. That's part of our culture. Their culture was, hey, I'm going to kiss you on the cheek. I'm going to kiss you on the other cheek, like some cultures still do today. Hey, I'm going to wash your feet. And so remember, Simon invites Jesus to his house, in another culture, for respect or honor, you would anoint their head with oil. And so Simon should be washing this individual's feet. He should have kissed Jesus on the cheek. He should have anointed Jesus' head with oil, but he doesn't. Another weird culture thing in their time is, regardless of who was at your door, you would let them in. And so this lady, the woman of the city, hears that Jesus is at this individual's house. This lady knocks on the door, and the cultural norm was to let her in. Okay? And so there's this group of people, maybe Jesus' disciples, that are eating at this dinner table. Jesus is there. Their posture is reclining. They're relaxed. They're leaning back. We see that in this text. And this lady comes in, and I think it's important to notice she doesn't have a seat at the table. And so Simon, again, is disrespecting her. 
says, hey, no, you, you can't sit at the table with the rest of us because you're a woman of the city, but because of our cultural norms, I'm going to let you in. And so she comes into the house, she's sitting behind, she's standing behind Jesus, and she understands, Simon, why are you not, like, do you know that this guy is Jesus? Why are you not washing his feet? Why did you not kiss him? Why are you not uh, um, anointing his head with oil? What is going on to the point where she begins to weep at the disrespect of Jesus? When was the last time that we weeped because someone was disrespecting Jesus? When was the last time that we just simply weeped over our sin? This person had a reputation of a sinner in the community, a woman of the city. I may tell you that that's my testimony. I have a very poor reputation in the town that I grew up in, in the town that I went to school in. To the point if I go back there and you told, if, if you went there and you said, hey, you know, Nathan, he's our pastor. You mean the guy that got expelled from five plus schools, that, that guy's your pastor? The guy that has a criminal record, that guy's your pastor? The guy that uh, has an assault charge against him because of this, the guy that uh, went and he did drugs and alcohol, the guy that partied all the time, that guy's your pastor? Because Jesus is faithful to forgive. This individual is a sinner, and she's just there. She's not keeping the peace. She shows up in a very awkward situation, a very vulnerable situation. I love to say this phrase, open, honest, vulnerable. It's exactly what she did here. She puts herself in an open and an honest and a vulnerable situation. She goes into this group of religious experts. She goes into the house. She just is standing behind Jesus. There's a group of people reclining at the table. And she says, I need peace. I need the peace that only Jesus can offer. Let me ask you this, the 641 families, do they know that they have a seat in our pews? Or if they come into the church, would we say, oh no, you got to stand in the back? And we're not going to tell them they have to stand in the back like Simon told this young lady. But time after time after time, anytime you're talking to someone who didn't grow up in church or they don't know church, what they'll say is, my sin is so bad. Maybe you've heard this said before that if I just walked into the church service, it would, the whole building would catch on fire. Hey, if I just went to church, like there's going to be so many Pharisees inside that church that judge me and look down on me. May we be a church full of sinners who understand our need for forgiveness, not a church full of Pharisees who look down on other people's sins. Because even though this lady is a woman of the city and her sins are very public, let me tell you, Jesus knew her private sins. And sometimes our private sins are a lot worse than our public sins. Hey, that person doesn't come to church. Hey, that person does this. Hey, but you don't understand the private sins that we struggle with. And Jesus, understanding this, understanding her sins is going to show her mercy, is going to give her grace. Matthew 23, verse 12 says it this way. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, 
and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. May we humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus and show Jesus the honor and respect that he's due in our family. And may we weep and mourn when Jesus is disrespected. Verse 39. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and so Simon is witnessing the interaction between Mary and Jesus, this is what he said to himself. And so this is an inner thought that Simon has. If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him, he said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender who had two debts, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? When we are keeping the peace we're not telling the truth in love. In fact, we're telling the truth in love in a very hurtful way. We saw some of that inside the video. When we're upset, we are trying to go and we say, hey, I'm not going to tell you the truth in love. So we tell our kids, hey, you always leave your clothes on your bedroom floor. Or we tell our husband, you always leave your clothes on the bathroom floor. And you may even add in, you bleep, 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 bleep. I can't believe that you did that. It's not telling the truth in love, or maybe not telling the truth in love is just for an example, uh, if someone's zipper is down. And instead of going to that person in private and saying, hey, your zipper's down. I love you, so I'm going to tell you that truth. What we do is we go around town. And we say, hey, do you know that the pastor's zipper is down? Do you know that the pastor's zipper is down? Do you know? And that's not telling the truth in love. Telling the truth in love, being a peacemaker in our home would sound like this. Having a conversation with someone whom we love. Hey, when you don't listen to me, I feel like you don't value me. When you raise your voice at me and the kids, I just, I don't feel safe. When you continue to check your phone at the dinner table, I feel like you don't want to spend time with me and it just devalues our relationship. When you lie about the really small, insignificant things, teenagers, it makes it really hard for our parents to trust us about the really big issues. In verse 39 through 40, I love this. Jesus knows the thoughts. Simon didn't say, hey, man, if you were really a prophet, you wouldn't help this individual. You wouldn't let this individual touch you because you know who she is. Simon is having this thought, and Jesus tells him in love. He doesn't say, hey, Simon, I know this is your house, but get out. He doesn't embarrass him in front of all his friends. Hey, Simon, you know her public sins, but let me tell you guys about Simon's private sins. Jesus tells the truth in love. If you think for whatever reason that your sin is too much for God to forgive, if you think that for whatever reason that you can't be forgiven because of your wickedness and because of your sin, because time after time after time again you understand that you were designed to glorify God and you've just neglected that for whatever reason, let me tell you that's what the cross is all about. 
The cross is all about Jesus coming to earth to live a perfect life. This is the gospel, and then die a death, and then being raised again, giving us eternal hope and satisfaction in the glory of God. That's the whole point of the cross. That's the whole point of Christianity is we are sinners and we need Jesus. When I was a younger believer, I read this text and I took it very literally. And so I'd tell people, hey, Jesus loves me more than he loves you. Like, how in the world can that be true? And I said, well, look at this passage here in Luke chapter 7. Because there were two debts. There was a little bit of debt and a lot of debt. And Jesus says, who does the person love more? Who does Jesus love more? The one, okay? So I would tell people, hey, you grew up in church. You know all the Bible answers. You did this, and you did this, and you just have a little bit of sin. God has forgiven all of your sin, but you only have a little bit. And listen, I messed up, okay? I got a whole bunch of sin. Jesus forgave all of that sin, and so he loves me more. It's not about if Jesus loves us. It's about if we love him. I'm going to say that again. It's not about if Jesus loves us. It's about if we love him. The more we understand our sin, the more we understand our need for Jesus. There is a debt to pay for our sins. The question is, who is paying that punishment? There is a debt for these 1,600 souls in our community to pay for their sin. So who are we to claim that we have the peace of God and not share that peace with them? Let's look at verse 43 through 46. Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom canceled the larger debt, and he said to them, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Ladies and gentlemen, when we are wrong, and Simon was wrong here. The Pharisee was wrong. His motives were wrong. His actions were wrong. His disrespect was wrong. When we are wrong, we have to apologize. We have to apologize. I'm sorry is for a mistake. Like, hey, I'm sorry I bumped into you. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I did that. That's a mistake, and we can say sorry. But will you forgive me is for wrongdoing. And we have wrongdoing against God. And so we have to ask God, God, will you forgive me of my sin? God, will you forgive me for my wrongdoing? You've created me in your image. You've created me to glorify you. And I so often get distracted. And so would you forgive me today? And would you forgive me tomorrow? And would you forgive me this moment? And would you forgive me the next moment? Because we need forgiveness from God. If you want to write down this individual's name, his name is Gary Chapman. 
Some of us may not know Gary Chapman, but we may be familiar with his book, The Five Love Languages. And so those five different love languages have how we can show love and how we receive love. And if you are having some issues communicating with your spouse, this may be the issue, is you're communicating in a different love language than your spouse is receiving. And so Gary Chapman, he actually just published another new book, or it will be coming out soon, and it's the five languages of apology. And so husbands, sometimes we can tell our wives sorry, and they're like, I have no clue why you think you're saying sorry, because I just don't hear it. Our teenagers, we can tell our parents sorry, and they're like, no, you did this. And so I'm just going to go over those five apology languages really quick, expressing regret, and so when we're apologizing, the individual who receives this, hey, uh, they want you to say, I'm sorry, and I feel bad for what I've done. Some other individuals, they want you to accept responsibility, and so you want someone to take ownership of the hurt that they've caused, making restitution. Number three, you want someone to prove that they're willing to correct the problem. Number four, genuinely repenting. And so you just say, hey, words aren't enough for me. I genuinely want you to change your behavior. Number five, requesting forgiveness. And so you say, hey, will you forgive me? I understand that you may not forgive me in this moment, but when you are ready to forgive me, I am asking and pleading for your forgiveness. And the cool thing about the gospel, the cool thing about Jesus is um, he doesn't necessarily have an apology language. He just wants us to come humble to him and say, God, would you forgive me? God, would you forgive me for my sin? I need Jesus. Let's look again at verse 43 through 46. If we understand our desperate need for forgiveness, we honor the one who offers it. And so Jesus is telling the truth to Simon in love, and he, Simon clearly knows that he's done something wrong here. Oh my goodness, I thought that guy wasn't a prophet. I thought that guy wasn't Jesus. I thought that guy wasn't the Messiah that was promised to come. And oh my goodness, he just knew my thought, and he knew my name. He calls him by his name. He says, Simon, you were thinking about me, right? Yeah, well, I got something to say to you. And Simon says, well, then say it. But he also now begins to respect him because he says, say it, teacher. This is a form of respect. This is a sign of honor. So Simon is in awe of this. And let me just tell you that my apology language, if I'm Simon right here, what I'm doing is, I am so sorry, Jesus. Mary, please take my seat at this dinner table. I need to go get some water because I didn't give you water, so you had to use your tears. And I didn't give you a towel, so you had to use your hair. So I'm going to go get that really quick because I need to wash the feet of Jesus. I need to show Jesus the proper respect respect and honor that he's due. That would have been my form of apology. I need to wash Jesus' feet. Hey, I don't care what you guys talk about because nothing else matters except Jesus, and I disrespected him, and so I have to show him honor. But Jesus' body language, look again in your text here. He turns around from the table. He's reclining in the first part of our text. He's reclining at the table. And then what he does is he turns around from the disciples, from Simon, from whoever else is there. He turns around and he looks at the woman. And he uses a woman as an illustration. And he says, do you understand this woman? This is what she did for me, man. 
you dropped the ball, and this lady here has the heart of worship. And so again, if we look at the definition of sin, anything we do that does not honor and worship Jesus is sin. This woman who is known in the city as a sinner, that's exactly what she's doing. She puts herself in an uncomfortable situation to honor and respect Jesus. Jesus' body language, he turns around from the table. He makes peace. He doesn't keep the peace. He makes the peace. He turns around. We can't truly love Jesus if we don't know how much we need Jesus. I'm going to say that again. We can't truly love Jesus if we don't know how much we need Jesus. Verse 47. Therefore I tell you her sins which are many are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him. They began to say among themselves. Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to forgive and we need to let go in order to be a peacemaker. God forgave you so that you would be able to forgive others who don't deserve it. Because let me just, it, this may be like groundbreaking news. You do not deserve a relationship with God. You don't. God made a way for you to have a relationship with God. We don't deserve the forgiveness of God. And other people who have sinned against us, they may not deserve forgiveness, but in uh, Colossians, what we see is, hey, we've been forgiven, so we must forgive. If we're not willing to forgive a brother or sister in Christ who we have seen, then how in the world can we forgive someone or, or accept the forgiveness of someone that we haven't seen? Ladies and gentlemen, this whole message may just be for healing and unity in our church so that we bring peace, so that we can look at the harvest of the 641 families and be the church that God has designed us to be. Maybe people who don't know Jesus, you forgave that person? I can't believe that you forgave that person. Do you know what that person did to you? And your response to them can simply be, I learned to forgive them because I learned about my need of forgiveness and how God forgave me. The Lord has forgiven us, so we must forgive. I'm going to say this again. The question is not if God loves you. It is, do you love him? Do you love Jesus enough to share him with the 641 families who may not have the peace that you do? Maybe someone else needs to hear this. In just a moment, you'll have an opportunity to respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of God's word. But maybe you need to hear this. Everyone look at me just for a moment. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. Through Jesus. 
And so stop putting your sin on yourself and your shame on yourself and your guilt on yourself. Your sins are forgiven through relationship with Jesus. Jesus made peace. He didn't keep the peace. Simon had motives of coming and disrespecting Jesus, and Jesus honored him. He told them the truth and love. He said, hey, Simon, we've really messed up here, and you need to apologize. You need to forgive this individual. Mary, I understand that Simon has sinned against you, but more so than that, he's actually sinned against me, and I've forgiven Simon of that sin, and I would ask that you would forgive Simon of that as well. And then Mary was able to let go of this and go in peace. We see that your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Listen, church, our faith can save us. Our lack of faith can destroy us and the people around us. I'm going to ask the band to uh, come forward as I close. Listen very closely to this. Your faith can save you. Simon's lack of faith destroyed the faith of the Pharisees that he invited over. Your faith can save you, but your lack of faith can destroy your family's relationship with Jesus. Your faith can save you, but your lack of faith can destroy our community. There are 1,600 souls that will one day stand face to face before Jesus. And may we be a church who shares the gospel with them. The goal is not 30 people in our sanctuary. The goal is not 60 people in our sanctuary. I'd rather have 10 people in our sanctuary who are faithful to go and share the gospel. With the 1,600 people that need Jesus. They need the peace that we know. Our sins are many, church. Our sins are many. Our sin is great, but his mercy is more. No amount of numbing that we try to do on the outside will give us the peace that only God can give us on the inside. And so if you need the peace that Jesus offers this morning, would you come forward as we begin to sing? Let's go ahead and stand. We're going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, together as a church, because we want to be a church that is blessed by God. We want to be families that are blessed by God. So let's sing and read this blessing together. Matthew 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. Come and receive peace this morning. Let's pray. And dear Father, I pray that you would grant our families, the conviction of your word this morning, Father, that we would not just be Christian families, but we would be Christ-centered families, that we would honor you in word and in deed, Father, that we would not just claim our Christianity, but, Father, that we would live it out. Father, be with us to reach the 1,600 souls in our local community. And all God's people said, amen.